Welcome back for another week of Walking with the Prophets. We will begin Parak Chaf Gimel today. Our learning is dedicated to Eloi Nishmat Rivko Bad Yaakov Alevi, Usi Maya and Rina D. A Rufua Shlema Vertila Bad Yabachaya Tova, Brahli Gava Rachel Gita, Yedevi Chaim Ravid Rivka Chaya, Moshe Eli Melech Alevi Rivasha, Shalom Chayasar, Shalom Ben Elka, and Shadokim for all those in need. Uh, it would be great to just move on to Perak Chav Gimel, but I feel like we have leftovers from last week. And it would be a shame to pass up on an opportunity to understand a little bit better um, part of Perak Chav Bet. So we'll spend a little bit of the time at the beginning wrapping up Perak Chav Bet, and then we will move on to Perak Chav Gimel. The first question that I want to ask is, what are the nine and a half tribes willing to forego for unity? It sounds at first like they are revving for war. In fact, it sounds like the army is getting themselves all ready. Until we're told that Pinchas is chosen to go speak to the other tribes with emissaries from each Shevet. Question is, what are the nine and a half tribes willing to forego for unity? Ruth Cook has a beautiful idea where he discusses the whole idea of why this is so bad and why the Jewish people need to um, prevent this uh, this civil war, obviously. And he he says in the end, What what Rav Cook is saying is something truly remarkable. It's very easy to talk about unity, but if one is to actually truly cause and create unity, and he's doing it by, or she's doing it by giving up of their own possessions, that's putting your money where your mouth is. You want to say that these nine and a half tribes want unity? Of course, that, who's going to say that they don't want unity? But they're willing to say, you two and a half tribes who are on the other side of the Jordan River. You seem to get be getting yourself into trouble now by making this declaration with the Mizbeach. They assume that it's idolatry, which is the begin the ultimate. We we quoted last week from Ravigal Ariel, but I think he gets it from Rav Cook. It's the ultimate disunity, is when the, the people are not worshiping the same God anymore. So Rav Cook says. They are willing to give up their land. Say, okay, we have this piece of land. We divided it. Do over. A redo. Let's redivide it. But now we're not going to divide it in nine and a half portions. We're going to divide it into 12 portions, which means that each tribe, each shavit is going to forego some of the land that they had in order to have unity. That's truly remarkable. And if they have no choice, they'll fight to the last man. But they don't want to get there. They're willing to say, do whatever you want. You want, you want to do this? No problem. To say to Gamora, happy to do whatever you want. Okay. That is what the nine and a half tribes are willing to forego for unity. The other question that we we kind of touched on it for just a moment, and then we we kept we kept going is we asked why is Yeshua left out of this whole thing? 
doesn't have any conversations with Reuven and God. It is Pinchas. It is the leaders. Yoshua stays out of it. Why is that? So there is a, a fascinating, fascinating message. The message says that when Yoshua sent them away, what happens? He accompanies them to Shiva. He walks them out, out of the land of Israel. And they see this. And the two and a half tribes are so moved by this that they then walk him back to Timnat Cheres, to his home. And then they go back out again, which explains why it says twice that they left out, that they left. We, last week, um, kind of said, no, that's Shad and Menashe. Menashe had a reason to linger around longer, whereas Ruven God, not so much. But, um, but, but this is a different take. The Medrash wants to suggest that Yoshua has an incredible closeness with Ruven and God. What exactly is that? So the Gemara Moed Katan says it's Pamal Yoshua Yoshua, that this was Yoshua's army, it was his private army. What exactly does that mean? So let's, let's remember that from the very onset, Yoshua approaches, this is going back to Perek Aleph, Perek Bet. Yoshua approaches the tribes of Reuben, Gan, Chatzishev, Menashe, and has a sit down with them and says, I want to remind you, you promised that you were going to come across the Jordan. It's non-negotiable. Now, what happens at that point in time? The people should say, Barur, of course, yeah, we have no choice. But they take it one step further. They turn to Yoshua and say, we've got your back. We're totally with you. This is amazing. Anything you need, we're here for you. Now, I want to take this one step further and suggest the following. For the last 14 years, these men, several thousands, several tens of thousands of soldiers that belong to Ruben God and Chazi Shevimanasha, when the battles are done and they go back to Gilgal, when the battles are done and they go back to wherever, they're not coming home, back to their homes. There's no wife that's out there with a hot, a hot fresh cooked meal. There's no children coming crying, oh, Abba, we were so nervous. They just keep coming back. And then they go back out again on behalf of Yahushua. There is a loyalty that exists between them that is pretty amazing. It's pretty intense. Um, yeah. And that is exactly what Yahushua created with these people. I, I have the picture of Unit 101. From the Israeli army. This is a very, very special unit in the army that went on these like really crazy missions. Um, I believe in 67 and 73, maybe even earlier. And uh, and unit 101 had this camaraderie, this loyalty to their leaders that was really truly remarkable. Problem is that if Yoshua had gotten involved in this fight, what would ultimately happen is he'd get in his own way because. The fear is that the Jewish people would say, oh, of course, you're siding with your Hevra. You're not, with, you're not with us. He would ultimately be pouring gasoline on the fire. That would be something that would actually, rather than calm the situation, to diffuse the situation, it would incite. It would make it worse. And so what Yoshua does is Yoshua says, I'm going to let you guys take care of this. This is not my place to jump in, which is, I think, 
a remarkable lesson for all of us. Sometimes we have an opportunity to get ourselves involved in something and we have our own personal stake in it. And the best thing we can do at that point is take a step back. I trust every one of you, you'll make the right decisions. And so that is the possible reason why Yeshua is left out of the fight with Yuvin and God. But I want to share with you another possibility. And this also takes us back to the beginning of our Sefer. The Gemara says that Pnei Moshe Ketnei Chama, Pnei Yeshua Ketnei Levana. The face of Moshe was like the sun, and the face of Yeshua was like the moon. What exactly does that mean, and how are we supposed to understand this? So, <coughs> I want to share with you a beautiful idea that I heard in the name of the Nitziv. The Nitziv offers the following. He says that the leader, the new leader, will always be living in the shadow of the old leader. It's just the way it should be. Your, the assumption is that the previous generation is stronger, is more connected, is, more, is holier, is more in tune with the divine, more in tune with God. So the new leader is always going to be a shadow of the previous leader. And so that's exactly what's going on with Yoshua. Yoshua, for his entire career, is simply a shadow of Moshe Rabbeinu. And, and it's, it's fascinating, because as we want, read Parach of Gimel and Parach of Dal, and we'll probably do a little bit more of this in Parach of Dal, you see the shadows, the echoes, you hear Moshe's tone, you hear Moshe's words expressed in Yoshua's parting message to Klali So. So that's one possibility. But there's another possibility. And this is, I think, based a lot on what Remmer said at the very beginning when we started learning. Remmer, we suggested a beautiful idea by him. Of the idea is that Moshe Rabbeinu is the son. He is all powerful. In the world of Moshe Rabbeinu, you don't have any problems because your problems are taken care of. In the world of Moshe Rabbeinu, these things are not issues because Moshe is so connected. And Moshe is so all-powerful and all-present that he's going to be the one to take care of it. But sometimes it's better to let people handle their own problems. Perhaps that's another possibility. Is that Yoshua, his entire MO, his entire leadership, his entire time as the head of Klal Yisrael was based on the idea that I'm going to give everybody their space. I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to figure it out on their own. And therefore, he's just the moon. Interesting idea that Yigal Ariel suggests is Chazal tell us that Yoshua is like the moon. That's the mashal. That's the image that we have of Yoshua's reign. The moon is not just that it's, it's, it's not a strong luminary. It requires the sun. That they, it requires the sun, of course. It requires the moon. All of those things are important. There's also the, wane, the waxing and the waning of the moon. What happens at the end of the month? Slowly dies out. At the very end, as, he's, as his leadership is ending, it's passing on to the next generation. There's a flickering of light. 
ובייחוד לאחר חלוקת ארץ השבטים, ואפשר לכוכביו להיפגש פגישה בלתי אמצעית עם הקושי שבשמירת היחד. Don't necessarily need everybody with you. Because at this point in time, you can rely on the fact that people will take care of it. And that is another way of passively understanding why Yoshua keeps himself out of it. Okay. Yoshua is going to give two farewell speeches. Today, Perach of Gimel, we'll see number one. Next week in Perach of Dalet, we'll see the other one. And, and the question, I believe, sorry, cut myself off. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, as Yoshua's farewell speech is being given, let's take a step into the Jewish people's mind and into their psyche. Are they listening carefully, soaking in every word? Or are they dreaming? Perhaps not of soccer, but perhaps they're dreaming of their homes, of their lands, of their crops, of the future. What is it that's going on in the ears and in the minds of Klaal at this point? And it's many days, many years later after God has given the Jewish people control over their enemies and Yoshua is Zakein Babayamim. Yoshua is old. What does it mean, Zakein Babayamim? We'll take a look at the Abar Benel in a moment. Pasig Bet. Vayikrai Yoshua l'chol Yisrael l'zkeinav l'rashav l'shotav l'shotrav Says the says Yoshua, I'm old. I've come in my days, got nothing left. Tank is empty. Someone else has, has to do it. First of all, where is the speech taking place? The dot mikra suggests that there is no place that's mentioned here. Parachal Dalit happens in Shechem, but maybe it's in the hometown of Yoshua in Timnat Cheres. And he speaks. Who does he speak in front of? Let's take a look at the Abar Benel. Yomar shachar shabru yamim rabim. Behold yourself a shalvo v'nufa. It's been a while. Years have passed and the Jewish people find themselves in a place of peace. The word minucha is important because in the Torah, we're told that when there is minucha, that is when there will be the resting place, the final resting place of God's house. He's old. Says the Abayar what does it mean to be old? He is chronologically old. Now, we discussed this a little bit back in Parakut Gimel. We have the same words. We discussed there the fact that it connects to Yoshua, Avraham, and David are the three peoples that came Babayamim. He was weak. And his body was broken from the rigors of war. He was old both chronologically and just physically. Time and years had made quite a mark on him. Karali Yisrael Bichlal, and he calls all Klal Yisrael, called the elders, who are the Sanhedrin, 
והחכמים, מנהיגי העם, פה זה חכמים, who are the leaders of the people, ונשיאי השבטים, שהם הראשים לשבטים. They are the ראשים, the second group that's mentioned. והשופטים שבכל עיר ועיר והשוטרים. And then he calls the, the שופטים, the judges from every city and the, and the officers, the policemen, the enforcers. ואמר להם שהם ידעו זקנתו כפי השנים, כפי תכונת גופו וכוחותיו. And they should just know he's old. שלא ידאגו עליו במותו לפי שלא היה מנצח על מלחמות. And they should not be worried in his death because he's not the one that won the wars. כי אם השם אלוקיכם, it's your אלוקיהם, it's your God. ושהוא יפיל ארץ הבלתי נכבשה בחלוקה, כפי שהקל יתברך הוא ידפה מיורשי מארץ כאשר דיבר להם. God is the one that won everything until now, and God is the one that will continue to take care of you for many, many, many years to come. What happens in our parent? But we're up to Pasa Gimel. In Pasa Gimel and on, the question is, what is it that the, what is the message that God shares with the Jewish people? So it's up on the screen to give an overview. And now, excuse me, we'll read the Psukim to see them as they come out. Pasa Gimel. ואתם ראיתם את אשר עשה השם לוקחם לכל הגויים האלה בפניכם, כי השם לוקחם הוא הנלחם להם. You saw what God did. God is the one that fought for you. He's the one that always fights for you. פסק דלת. ראו, הפלתי לכם את הגויים האנשים האלה בנחלל לשתיכם, בירדן ובכל הגויים אשר הכרעתי והים הגדול מרוע השמש. And see, הפלתי לכם. I, 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 what did I do? Rashi says, I've given you as a goral, the nachala, all of the land. From who? From these non-Jews. You got all the land of Israel. But not exactly because it's hanisharim lachbesh. It's the leftovers. You're still going to have to conquer this land. So here we're transitioning from God did this to God gave you, to God expects of you. What does God expect of you? God expects of you to defeat all the nations. It didn't happen yet. It has to happen. When? It has to happen in the future. And God is the one that's going to do it. He's going to, he's going to help you conquer the land. And the famous in the word he's going to beat down the nations that are before you and you'll conquer them. Now this is where we get into the, um, the conditions. God says, I will do X, Y, and Z, but you need to do A, B, and C. Why are they keep the Torah? That's number one. And we're told, you've got to work really hard to keep the Torah. Rav Yigal Ariel points out, we had this already. You've got to be strong. What Yoshua is doing is he's passing the message that he gave to this generation, the, the message that he got from God and Moshe Rabbeinu to himself. He's now passing this message on to the next generation. Why is he doing that? 
He's passing it on to the next generation because it is their problem. This is no longer his task. The moment has passed. He is now the one. He is now the one that, uh, that is moving on. But he needs to make sure that someone is tasked with the next, with the mission going forward. So he said to them, you guys have to do this. Don't go to the right, don't go to the left. And soon as David says, it's like someone who's driving on the road, who's going on the road. So it's a narrow path. You go to the right, you go to the left, you're going to fall off. What do you need to do? Stay in the middle. Stay in the middle, you'll be fine. If you've ever had the, I don't know, I would use the word misfortunate, but if you certainly if you've ever had the bad luck of having to walk in the center of a highway on one of those narrow dividers. Remember years ago when I was in, uh, in high school, my brother and I and a couple of friends, we went down to Florida for winter break um, and we got dropped off by our cab at the wrong hotel. There were a million hotels with the exact same name-ish. And we ended up like three miles from our hotel. Problem is that here it was, we were a bunch of high school kids on a tight budget. We didn't want to spend the money to take a cab to pick us up from Hotel A to bring us to Hotel B. So with our suitcases and our food for the week, we made the trek from one hotel to the other. And here it is, we're running uh, with these big boxes over our head with our food over the divider in the middle of the highway. Well, not. But if you've ever had to walk there long term, it is actually incredibly frightening because you can feel the whiz of the cars going by at 50, 60, 70 miles an hour. And so when that happens, when you find yourself in that situation, um, you know what it means. A little bit to the right, a little bit to the left, that's going to be the end of you. So the Torah is saying the same thing. The Torah is the, the elixir of life, but it only works if you stay on the right path. Don't worship the idols of the nations around you. And uh, God helped you conquer all these nations, strong, mighty nations. And nobody stood in your way. It's an amazing thing. Uh, throughout Yoshua's reign, with the exception maybe of I, in battle number one, nobody ever beats the Jews. And nobody ever limits the Jews. The Jews are doing everything that they're supposed to do. One will chase a thousand, because God is going to fight for you, just as he had said. You have to be, guard your souls uh, to love Hashem your God. But if, what if you don't follow the conditions? What if you do what Pastor Yudbet says, you intermarry? What's going to happen is, instead, if you don't, so God will make them to be thorns and thistles in your sides. They'll make your lives miserable. And in the end, you're going to be kicked out or lost from the land of God.
very simple. God gives you a promise. Good things will happen. God says you'll finish the mission that you were supposed to start, which is what? Conquer the land. It's not so simple. Rabbi Michael points out the temptation. Kalal Yisrael is the only nation at its, in the time that it's living that believes in one God. You're coming into a land where they believe in the pantheon of gods. There's the God of the field. There's the God of the sky. There's the God of the heavens. The God of rain. The God of sun. All of these forces of nature that when you live in Israel, you recognize how dependent you are upon them. What if the land does not give forth its produce? What if you don't have water? What if you don't have sun? All of these things are not good. Not good at all. And so what happens is God is saying, this is the test. It's tempting. It's really hard. It's hard to pass up. And the non-Jewish nations are still there. So they're always going to be looming in the background and asking the question, can you, ha- can you handle that temptation? Can you manage to see that and say, you know what? I believe in God. God has done a great job. His, his resume is outstanding. The Jewish people have watched for 14 years as God triumphs time and time again. How many of these wars were won in such miraculous fashion that the Jewish people can never even sit there and begin to even imagine taking credit for it? Huge stones falling out of the sky. The walls of Yericho falling down. How many of these miracles are truly so clear that it is the hand of God at play? Happens so many times. Why? Because God wants to say, there's no reason to doubt me. The reason to doubt you is your neighbors in the village next door have daughters. Their daughters are beautiful. And their their practices are enticing. It's different than praying to a God that you can't see. You see what they're doing. You see the idols. You see that excitement, the merriment that they have when they get worked up into a frenzy. It's hard to say no to that. It's hard to pass up on that. That is the test. So what happens? I'm going to die, Yoshua says. Everything that God promised, everything that God said would happen, it actually does happen. Nothing missing. I want you to think about that for a second. We did ask the question, if you are the Jewish people at this moment, what are you thinking? You're listening to Yahushua. Are you actually taking it all in? Are you? Or are you daydreaming, thinking about other things? But when you hear these words, nothing was missing, you have to sit there and say, is that actually true? Sounds like the land should be ours. There shouldn't be anybody left in. And yet, looming large are still the non-Jews. Pasuk 
כן יביא השם עליכם וכל הדבר רע, שישמידו אתכם, אתכם, ועל אדמה טובה הזאת אשר נתן לכם, השם אלוקיכם. bad things will happen you will be punished this passage should sound incredibly familiar sounds just like God says to us if you do a B will happen if you follow God and realize that God has done all these things for you and you keep your end of the bargain keep the Torah don't worship idols Davin Hashem stay strong good things will happen but if not If you follow your eyes, you follow your heart, you do things that you're not supposed to, God will destroy you. God is offering the Jewish people here a bris. What is a bris? When I used to ask my third graders what a bris is, this rabbi, we know it's bagel blocks and cream cheese. But we know that's not true because we're much more sophisticated than that. Is a bris a treaty of peace? It's actually a, uh, a Google image of the Treaty of Peace between Germany and the nations of the world after World War I. Treaty of Peace. It's not really a treaty of peace between God and the Jewish people, but it's a covenant. The idea of a covenant is it's a relationship. There is a covenantal agreement between God and the Jewish people. You're my people. I'm your God. It's great, but it only works. If you're dedicated and devoted, you can't have a partner in a covenant and then have another one who is diametrically opposed. God is saying to the Jewish people, we're creating this unbelievable covenant here. It's the relationship that you and I have. I am dedicated to it. But you have to be dedicated to it also. And if you bring in a son-in-law, a daughter-in-law, who's an Ovid Avodazar from the locals, And you've taken this covenant, you've taken this bris, and what you've essentially done is you've watered it down maybe to a treaty of peace. We're on good terms with God until I find a better alternative. I think Hitler attacking Russia in 1941. He does it. Why? Because he knows he doesn't need Russia anymore. So he could turn his, he could turn his attention towards destroying his ally. It's a temporary agreement. Or even more watered down, it's just a bagel ox and cream cheese. Not much more than that. What is the real message that Yoshua is sharing with the Jewish people? Finish the job. You've started the job. You have to finish it. But wait a second. He said to them, Nothing was missing. But is that really true? Yoshua says they completed it. But is that really true? And the amazing thing is nobody argues, not a one. They all accept what, what Yoshua says. Why is that? Why is that? So you could suggest the answer is that they're daydreaming. They're not here anymore. Their minds are in other places. So when Yoshua talks, it's blah, 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 blah. 
It doesn't go in, it doesn't resonate, it doesn't speak to them because it doesn't matter. That's one possibility. But there's another possibility. The other possibility is that they are listening to the famous Nevoah of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu says in Shmot, the land will not be chased out. The enemies of the Jewish people, the non-Jews that live there, the Canaanim and all the other nations will not be chased out and Yaret Shmama, Rabbalach Hayadas, they'll be full of animals and will be desolate. It'll be slowly, little by little by little by little, until you will have the ability to what? To conquer the entire land. Perhaps, says Revival Ariel, the reason why nobody complains, the reason why no one says anything is because they don't really believe it hasn't taken place. God promised them that the land would be conquered. And they say, we are, we have conquered it. We are conquering it. But it is not meant to have happened so quickly. It is something that will take years and years and years. And it's going to be something that is not only our mission, the mission of our children. It's the mission of our children and our grandchildren. So there is peace and we inherit the land. Question is, does this ever come to fruition? Do we ever have a time where we live and look at the land of Israel and say, Gan, this is what God was talking about. And so, it says with Ariel, it does happen. It happens in the days of Shlomo HaMelech. Shlomo HaMelech reaches the point where the Beit HaMikash becomes the nexus of the Jewish people, becomes the apex of the world. People from all over come to visit, to see what in fact is going on in the land of Israel. That is the amazing piece of what Eretz Yisrael, what the base Amigdash is supposed to do. It's supposed to be the center, both spiritually, intellectually, commercially, of the entire world. It happens. It does take place. Unfortunately, Shlomo HaMelech's reign and his supreme control over the land of Israel, and the nations around it, and the people living in it, and all the Jewish people themselves, is short-lived. It is short-lived. But what will happen in the end? In the end, we are going to find ourselves in a time, we're going to find ourselves in a place where the Jewish people have the land of Israel in their hands. It's going to take 400 years to get there. And unfortunately, we'll be short-lived after that. Thank you so much for joining us. A plug, we are only one more week left in Sefer Yoshua, and then we'll start Sefer Shoftim. Please share if you're enjoying with those that you think would enjoy as well. Have a wonderful week, and continue walking in the ways of the prophets.